so excited for you to hear this episode with Taryn Chambers-Gavan. She is a native of Texarkana, Texas, and holds a bachelor's degree in elementary education from the University of Central Arkansas, a master's degree in curriculum and instruction from Texas A&M University, Texarkana, and principal certification from Stephen F. Austin University. She has 19 years in the K-12 setting as a teacher, assistant principal, and principal, and has worked as an adjunct professor. Now in her 20th year, Taryn is the founder and CEO of Divergent Educational Consulting, LLC, as an independent educational consultant and service specialist with Better Lesson. She is a proud member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority, enjoys reading, writing, listening to music, dancing, traveling, and shopping. One of her greatest accomplishments is being a mother to her beautiful 19-year-old Indiah Wells. She is the blessed wife of Antonio Gavan and bonus mom to Braylon Jordan and Ashton Gavan. Her motivation each day stems from Galatians 6.9, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Get excited for my conversation about campus leadership teams with Taryn Gavan. Hi, I'm Lindsay Lyons, and I love helping school communities envision bold possibilities, take brave action to make those dreams a reality, and sustain an inclusive, anti-racist culture where all students thrive. I'm a former teacher leader turned instructional coach, educational consultant, and leadership scholar. If you're a leader in the education world, whether you're a principal, superintendent, instructional coach, or a classroom teacher excited about school-wide change like I was, you are a leader. And if you enjoy nerding out about the latest educational books and podcasts, if you're committed to a lifelong journey of learning and growth and being the best version of yourself, you're going to love the Time for Teachership podcast. Let's dive in. Taryn, welcome to the Time for Teachership podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And hello to everyone who can hear my voice. I am Taryn Givan. I am a native of Texarkana, Texas. Actually, I live in a small community called Wake Village, Texas. Uh, most people have never heard of either. <laughs> so I'm in Northeast Texas. And um, this is where I was born and raised, came back after four years of undergraduate and have spent my time, of course, being here trying to um, give more to the community and, and really just add value. Um, I am a Christian. I am an educator. I'm a wife, a mother, um, a sorority sister. Shout out to my sorors of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Um, I am a lover of all things music. Um, I love to shop. Um, and I just feel like that's important to add those things in there because as educators, a lot of times most people know us and it is tied to what we do, to our career, to our profession. But, you know, we do have lives outside of that. I, I love some retail therapy, love to shop um, and love to read, uh, things of that nature. And so I'm just really thankful uh, to have the longevity in my career. This is my 20th year as an educator from being a teacher, an assistant principal, a principal. I've done some adjunct work. And then um, hopefully once I knock this doctorate out starting this fall from Clark Atlanta University, my first experience with an HBCU, um, I will have some other opportunities to open up from there. And so a lifelong learner, as I'm sure all of you are on the other end of this podcast. And I'm just grateful to be here and to have this connection with Lindsay. What a well-rounded like sense of who you are as a person. I love that you really just explained too that it's necessary to give that, right? We don't always talk in those ways as educators. 
in line with Dr. Bettina Love's idea of freedom dreaming, which she describes as dreams grounded in the critique of injustice. What is the big dream that you hold for the field of education? Well, first of all, I love this question and I am not familiar um, with Bettina Love's idea. So I'm now, of course, going to go and dig this up and read and, and learn some more, which is what it's all about. But I can definitely connect to, you know, thinking about the dream that I have for the field of education. Um, thinking back to even my educational experience or more so the experience that I had in leading, you know, my biggest hope or my biggest dream would be that all children truly feel seen and they are heard. Um, and I know we have this notion, obviously, of community schools and, and, and things of that nature. And, and sometimes it really can give a negative connotation to the, the educators, the practitioners, the people who are making it happen, and even those students and those families, because depending on that community, um, people only see you for where you have grown up or where you live. And they don't try to get to see you past any of that. And so if you were to say that you go to this school, it is automatically attached to the community that you live in. So therefore, depending on people's experience with that community or what they've heard or the a negative connotation, they are unable to see past what that child has to offer. Um, all children have gift. We know geniuses um, lie in all of us. And so for me, one of my biggest hopes is that we can somehow um, move maybe necessarily from just maybe the redlining or the community schools, but that we get to a place where all children have a place and that they are seen and that they are heard. And that if we truly say that we're educating the whole child, that we actually practice that. Um, and educating the whole child is also understanding their experiences and the background that they come from, not necessarily to judge them, but to see how that has to be fostered and nurtured in order to bring that child, um, you know, uh, their talents to the forefront or bring it to life or to allow them to thrive. I'm curious to know, kind of along those lines, the mindset shifts that are really required to get that dream to come alive, to get all students to feel seen and heard, to have a sense of belonging, seeing the genius in all students, as you said, how could leaders think differently to actually enable that dream to come true? You know, I don't see a lot of forums or meetings that involve the children. And I think that if you want to learn best how to meet their needs, we have to involve the kids. I understand developmentally, obviously, you know, from pre-K all the way up to 12th grade, the way you go about that may have to be different depending on the group of students that you're talking to. But I worked at a campus um, one year as a pre-K principal. And you'll be surprised if you have not interacted with pre-K three and four year olds, you'll be surprised at how much they can do, how much they know, how articulate they are. Um, and they can share their thoughts with you and give you some ideas of what they think should be happening within their school, what they like, what they don't like from the food to everything else. But I really think that in order for leaders to have a grasp on what that could look like, we are going to have to provide a seat at the table for children. Um, for you know our middle school and our high school, especially, even though I'm elementary through and through, 
I do know the importance of what middle school and high school offers because I'm, I'm a mom. And so my daughter, of course, went through middle and high school, has graduated. But I believe we should have a seat at the table for those students to really talk about their experiences and for us to really think about, are we reaching? And, and I know DEI comes across, but it's part of everything that we talk about. When we talk about diversity, but more so how inclusive do our students feel? Um, how connected do they feel in those school settings? And some of the questions that even students would ask me just being their principal, um, or even the conversations of you know seeing diversity within their schools, it was a big deal, representation matters. And so in order for us to really have a mindset shift, we're gonna have to make sure that we're bringing children to the table and giving them an opportunity to really share with us, you know, this is what we set out to do, give us some feedback on if we really achieve that. And the only people that can really tell us if it's been successful are the children. Sometimes what we hear is, oh, they can only do that when they get to high school or middle school and they're not ready for that yet. And so I love that you even went to pre-K and you're like, these kids know, right? These kids can tell you some things. And so I just appreciate that you're offering that perspective for the elementary leaders out there who are kind of uncertain if this is possible. It absolutely is possible. And along those lines, I, I'm curious to know, you have set up amazing campus leadership teams and worked with campus leadership teams. And I think some leaders may be unfamiliar with that concept. If leaders don't really know what that is or don't know how to start it, what actions, what I would call brave actions are required for those leaders to make that a possibility on their campus? I'll just talk, you know, from my experience and really within the past six years as a turnaround principal, that is where I really dug into campus leadership teams and really saw the value of having those. So when we talk about a campus leadership team, there are some people who may have only experience with maybe just saying, oh, that's my admin team. That's me as, as the principal along with my APs. And then some of you may be like, oh, you had more than one assistant principal because <laughs> I know that that also is not always the case and on some campuses that there are more than one. So whatever the makeup of your team, campus leadership team for me really can be in three parts. So I'm just going to talk about the most inclusive one first, and that really is campus support. When you think of a leadership team, thinking about it from who are the individuals in positions that support this campus. Now, I'm sure all of us have heard with teachers, you know, every other position is there to make sure that the teachers are able to do what they came and what they're, you know, um, skilled to do. So for my experience, the campus leadership team consisted of the administrators. So myself, two assistant principals, uh, counselors. Um, one year, I only had one counselor, and then eventually I got another one. So your counseling um, support, behavioral interventionists, if you have a coordinator, um, that, that person, an academic support specialist or the data queen, family engagement, liaison specialist, whatever that's called, and also, of course, um, your instructional coaches. That was the most inclusive. And why that was important for me was that these are the individuals that they have so many different roles that they play within the campus that truly supports not only the educators, but the children and our families. And so when we're at the table and we're talking about a specific situation, the lens of a counselor is very important to maybe talking about the kind of support, not only for this family, but what we are missing on the campus for all of us to be preventative or to help our families on, on the forefront. 
the lens of a family engagement specialist could be different, of course, from a counselor, because we're talking about those outside, those community supports that they have contacts with. Um, the lens from a behavioral interventionist and having the meetings or having home visits, et cetera. So that inclusiveness on a campus leadership team not only adds more value to, you know, we talk about our mission and our vision statements, being able to really have that perspective of what it looks like from every stakeholder, but also giving us an opportunity to really think a little bit deeper on some of the, the topics or those agenda items that we have. And there are some on that campus leadership team, they may not have an educational background, meaning obviously they didn't graduate with elementary education or curriculum and instruction, et cetera. And so even the, some of the questioning that can come for them really can help you clarify and to remember a lot of the jargon that we use as educators, oh, wait a minute, you're right. If, if we're going to give this out to parents or if we have a community member coming in, we're going to need to clean this up some or we're going to need to make sure that we are thorough because you're right. We can't just speak like we're talking to people who have it or understand it. And so that was the most inclusive for our team. Um, we would meet, we would huddle on Mondays just to see if there was anything that we needed from each other. And then on Wednesdays would be the actual meetings. Now, the huddles happened, but the meetings every Wednesday would only happen if there were agenda items. <laughs> and so if there wasn't anything that really did not require a sit down, then we had shared documents. Of course, we had a Google Drive. I felt like that's important to say because we didn't meet just for the sake of meeting but it was intentional, it was purposeful. Um, an agenda was a part of the calendar invite. Here's what's already there. You know, Take a moment to look over that, prepare your questions if you have something that needs to be added. And we of course wanted to make sure that we were addressing the most time sensitive pieces first before we moved on to anything else. That's that most inclusive. So I would say that instructional team was more of your campus support. I do believe that it's very important to also have a leadership team that is just instructional. And so that piece that we had was just the administrators and the instructional coaches. There are some conversations that are about supporting educators. Of course, when we talk about evaluations or coaching, those conversations don't need to happen in the bigger inclusive space with people who would just be sitting there like, okay, this doesn't apply to me. Can I tiptoe out? So we would have those instructional focused campus leadership team meetings where it was really targeted to maybe a grade level or a couple of teachers that were concerned, what else do we need to do to support them, et cetera. A lot of times your instructional coaches because they're not administrative. And I say that because I know that is not the intent of instructional coaches. Now there may be some people listening where We've straddled the fence a little bit and our instructional coaches are doing a little administrative. And, you know, I would love to have that conversation because it really does blur the lines of that support and where they stand. But for me and on that campus and also in our district, instructional coaches were used how, I guess you could say they were intended <laughs> to truly be um, someone who was that one-on-one -on -one support for the educators that was not seen as an administrative. And so it was coaching. It was not directive. I'm not coming in to evaluate you. You don't have to be concerned about those type of things. I'm truly here to grow you. And I'm not saying that administrators are not, but we do hold 
another side of our role where we have to be directive um, more so, and we also evaluate and it's tied to, you know, their annual evaluations. And so that instructional um, a focus, having that campus leadership team, that was a smaller part, just a subgroup from that more inclusive, that was a lot broader, that had a, a variety of titles, so to speak, or different leaders. And then I also think that it's very important, obviously for the administrative team to have their time. So as a campus leadership team, just your administrators, because there are gonna be conversations, or at least there should be, that your instructional coaches are not a part of. As we know, you know, instructional coaches are not administrative, they're also not lateral to your admin team. So we supervise everyone. And as a principal, I was still <laughs> the supervisor of my APs. And so there were conversations that we would need to have a little bit more um, discreetly. And that needed to only be with us when we're talking about next steps, you know, contract renewals, um, you know, true concerns, et cetera. Or maybe there are some teacher concerns that we needed to talk about first that may have involved a concern with an instructional coach, but we needed to have a conversation before we brought that to that instructional coach. When you're looking at setting schedules and things of that nature, we were inclusive of that, but there may have been conversations that we needed to be on the same page about first, before you then bring that to your instructional team or your campus support team. And so for me, the leadership teams were, they were crucial because everyone of course brought to the table um, that lens and that perspective from their role. And we also wanted to make sure that as a campus, even our teachers understood that the, a lot of the decisions that we make obviously have to be in the best interest of the students, but then this is how it also affects your office staff. This is how it affects the custodial staff. This is how it affects, you know, our cafeteria workers. And so we want to make sure that we are looking at it from every perspective. Now, in that campus support group that I spoke about, I just stated like office staff, cafeteria staff, custodial staff, they were not a part of that, but we were a leader in me campus, um, practicing, of course, the seven habits. And so there were teams, action teams, and other ways to get everyone on the campus involved. But that week to week meeting, huddling, what do we need from each other? What can I quickly do for you? Um, setting schedules, talking about teachers that were gonna be out, lack of subs, whatever. All of those kind of conversations happened with the campus leadership teams. Oh my gosh, you shared so much information. That was amazing. So I have a few follow-up questions. One, what are huddles? Can you explain huddles versus meetings for us? On Monday mornings, we literally huddled like you, I guess you could say like a football huddle. And so we would meet in the circle in one of our um, open areas. We had a fifth grade four-year area by the library. And so the point of that was not to get too comfortable that it turned into a meeting. So we would stand and we literally would go around the circle you know, if anybody wanted to give, um, you know, something that happened amazing over the weekend, they could do that real quick. But it was literally, here's what my big rocks are for the week because we were a leader in me campus. And so incorporating the language um, um, and the principles behind that. Here are my big rocks from the for the week. 
Miss G, which is what they called me. Hey, like, don't forget, I need to meet with you Wednesday. Do you have that on your calendar? As you know, I'd have my iPad. Oh, you know, you're right. Or no, I didn't put that on my calendar. Did you send an invite? Whatever the case may be, we fix it right then. Yes, you're going to need that from me. Someone else would say, hey, I'm going to need your signature off on this document. So just really quick checks on their big rocks, what may be needed of other people within the team are just those quick reminders before we set out on the week. It was also to give the team an opportunity to be reminded of when we were doing our learning walks or if we had walkthroughs or observations, they would really kind of have an understanding of, oh, okay, so you're not going to be available. We didn't open up our calendars. Like, you know, in some places they have it to where you can go and type in and see my, that person's calendar. Our admin team, we had joint calendars, but we didn't do that with everyone else. So our huddles, just standing up in a circle. Some days times I can go to my right, sometimes I go to my left and we would go around big rocks for the week. This is what I need from you, et cetera. All hearts clear, hands in the middle, go. <laughs> that kind of thing. That sounds so cool. Now I want to huddle with <laughs> with everyone all the time. Okay. So then after that, I love that you named the decision-making clarity of these folks do not need to be in this conversation. This is the type of decision we're going to make with this group. And this group is going to have this more expansive conversation about broader baby policy. And I think that's often where people get confused or worried about shared leadership structures of bringing all the voices in. Well, what, what does someone have to be present for? What if I need to make a snap decision? And I love that you clarified, like you can do that. You can have just an admin team meeting where, you know, three people are making that decision. And to be really clear about that, I think sounds like it was a huge part of your success as a campus leadership team. Could you speak a little bit more about the leader and me schools in case people aren't familiar with that? I know you mentioned the seven habits, you mentioned big rocks. Um, do you want to just speak a little bit about what that is? For those who are familiar with Stephen Covey, the seven habits of effective people, that was taken into our school systems because it did not begin in the educational system. If I'm not mistaken, it was just a business structure. And it was those seven habits that you know, really are crucial for any individual, regardless of your career field. Um, when we talk about, you know, the bottom of the structure is really how I operate as an individual, uh, making sure that I take care of my tasks. So we talk about, you know, being proactive that has everything to do with my responsiveness and how I interact with other people and understanding, you know, that circle of control versus that circle of concern um, and then putting first things first. And so, you know, there's three of those tasks, or excuse me, those principles that are really about you as an individual. And then it moves into then collectively how I interact with other people, because we know truly no man is an island. So in order to do the work that we're doing, even in education or in any sector, you can't accomplish that just by yourself. Um, and for those of us like, you know, you and I who work remotely and have flexibility is really important to be proactive. I have to have a calendar. I have to set it. I have to make adjustments. If I have meetings, you know, such as our appointment today, I need to honor those or I need to have communication with other people if that's not going to happen. And so those seven habits um, were created as in, within the schools. 
and there's training that has to go through it. Now, there are some schools that actually reach lighthouse status. So some of you all um, that are listening to this podcast, you may be a lighthouse school. Um, for us, we were a leader in me campus. Our campus at the time, of course, was not um, at a lighthouse status. Um, there are different requirements and things that you have to, of course, show in order to get to that and it's evaluated. But with that, you know, you can't just say, oh, I've read the book before, or I know about the seven habits, and I'm just going to incorporate that within our school. It does have to go through, um, you know, the Covey organization or corporation. There has to be official training of the, with the materials from, you know, a Covey coach. It's really a connection to social emotional learning. Because again, it really is talking about um, having control of myself, and then being able to also then interact with other people. So there's that seek first to understand, then to be understood. It's synergy. Um, think win-win, you know, where everybody can win. And that's important when we're talking about going back to those campus leadership teams. We wanted to make sure that if we were going to be a leader in me school, it wasn't just that these um, seven habits were on the wall or we would have occasional family nights and we would just occasionally talk to the students about it. It needed to be a part of the culture. It wasn't just something else to do. So even our norms in our meetings, you would hear the leader in me language and making sure that we truly were walking that expectation, not only that we had of our students, but also that we expected of the staff when they had grade level meetings or content meetings, et cetera. And so, yes, for any of you all that are interested in that, if your school is not leader in me or your district, um, go and look that up. That is so helpful to know, Taryn, because I didn't know about all of the tiers and all of the things that were involved in that process. So it sounds pretty extensive, but I love that the implication seems to be that every person can be a leader and every person can practice these all the way from students to teachers to admin, family. That sounds really neat. Absolutely. There is a seven habits for effective families. And so it has really evolved. And there's training that comes from counselors or even like family liaisons. Um, they can be trained to train families of what these seven habits look like within the home um, and to get that language, that consistent language, that common language, to have that all the way through, not just the campus, but also from home to school. And that sounds like it would be really reinforcing. So that idea of anytime school and families can communicate in the same language, you know, and, and reinforce these concepts sounds really powerful. And actually speaking about families, and also we, we said at the top of the episode, student leadership and student voice and, and things like that, where do students and families have roles within, are they on the campus leadership teams or do the campus leadership teams have like representatives that consult with the students for particular things and families with particular things and then come back? Like how does, how do you involve those voices? So it's great that you asked me to talk a little bit more about the leader and me, because within leader and me, the expectation is that you have what's called lighthouse teams. And so you have a student lighthouse, a staff lighthouse and a parent lighthouse. And you have representatives on those committees that bring questions from, you know, the larger um, group. So students can come with questions from other students. If they've gone around and completed surveys, a staff member is going to be the sponsor for the Student Lighthouse team. 
Um, and in our district, we brought all of our student lighthouse teams together. So we met as a district lighthouse team um, and had an event as well. One of the things that I'm very proud of, I wanna say it was my last year on the campus, we were able to bring our parent lighthouse and staff lighthouse team together. And we had the first ever joint meeting. And so that was really good. Um, it was very moving to see it happen because that was something that we had talked about for so long and then to see it come into fruition, you know, that we're sitting here in this room and for parents to be able to get clarification, even from the teachers. And again, going back to the beginning of the podcast, when we were, when I was talking about my big dream and my hope for the field of education, our parents were able to really talk about um, how they've seen the school shift and how they've even seen, you know, the, the thought process within the community change about our campus um, because it was a community campus, low SES, um, Title I campus, and people automatically put those type of schools in a group of, okay, low performing, et cetera. And I was a turnaround principal. The campus was not meeting state requirements. And that's a whole nother podcast when we want to talk about high stakes testing or, you know, state accountability. But to to transform the school, for it to meet standard, for things to be happening to where, wow, you were seeing Westlawn in the newspaper for positive things or getting a state award for um, professional development and things of this nature, to hear our parents and our family members say thank you to the teachers or to the staff for the work that you've done or for them to give personal um, you know, anecdotes about my child coming home, being excited about this, where the first year, you know, he may have come to the campus, he could have cared less about X, Y, Z. And now he's coming home and he's telling me about this or going on this trip or this project or this person. And it was powerful. I mean, some tears were shed, some hugs were given. Now this was of course pre-COVID and um, it was just a good feeling to see our parents and our staff lighthouse teams come together collectively to keep moving the, the mission and the vision of that campus forward. I love too that you linked it to being a turnaround school and that idea of turnaround. Sometimes I think when we're in turnaround, and I used to work with turnaround schools in Massachusetts, you know, there's this mindset of, well, I don't want to be too drastic and whatever I, I take on because I, you know, I need to meet these quotas and there are these all this stuff, right? We totally a separate podcast episode. You're right. <laughs> but the, all the things. And I love that you all were like, no, we need to share this leadership. We need to grow our leaders. We need to invest more in the sense of belonging and being heard and seen and valued. And I think that has to happen or else you're not going to emerge from turnaround, at least not in a sustainable way. You might hit some metrics right away, but it's not going to be sustainable and a place where kids want to be. And so I love that you connected those two things because I, I see them as very closely related. Um, I do have one follow-up question on the Lighthouse teams. Do those teams meet, like how regularly do those teams meet and were all the students involved or was it like representatives of students on the teams? Lindsay, before I answer that question, and don't let me forget, I do want to go back because you just said something in kind of summarizing what I had just talked about that I think is, you know, was very important. One of the focus the first year that I came to the campus when I was a campus principal, the focus maybe for the first RC and even the second year, it did have to be internal first. Um, obviously, the campus had already gone through the leader and me process. However, 
you really didn't see it. It wasn't a part of the culture. When you spoke to the Lighthouse team at that moment, you know, they would say things such as, you know, we should already have this by now. We should have a parent Lighthouse team and we don't. And even though we wanted that, we could have done it just to say, check the box. But there were so many internal things that needed to be taken care of first. And before you can invite people in, <laughs> you need to make sure that home is together first or the inside is on the same page. And we had a lot of things to work through. Um, again, getting on the same page as far as even common structures and expectations of how we interacted with our students, what our academics looked like, all of that. It had to be worked on before we could create a parent lighthouse team, even before we created the student lighthouse team. It might have been hit or miss before I got there, and I knew that people were revved up and like, let's do it. But when you talk about being a lighthouse team, one of the things that I would say was, you know, we're supposed to be the light in the house. We're not supposed to be the snuffers. So I need to make sure that everyone on this lighthouse team as a staff really embodies the energy that is needed here. You know, you may have been voted on, which in most places, and that will kind of get into your question, in most places, of course, with lighthouse teams, they're supposed to be chosen by their peers. And so it could be that this individual was there, you know, prior to me coming, but I needed to check energy of everyone and just to remind everyone of what our role was. When we think about the lighthouse, this brings in ships, you know, that are out there that are lost, that need a safe place to land. We are to be those individuals who continue to help shine the light on the positive things that are happening, not saying that we're all going to have this toxic positivity where we just act like everything is okay and it's not. No, we can have crucial conversations, but we're to be the ones who are saying, okay, so here's a concern, what are the solutions? What are the steps to this? Not coming into a meeting and it's just a gripe session. And you leave with no solutions, and that means we got to come back and do this all over again because nothing was accomplished. So I do want to say that for us as a transformational campus in school turnaround, um, it was important for us to work from the inside out. Once we felt like our Lighthouse team and our structures internally were where we really wanted them to be, that no matter what day people dropped by to do learning walks or to visit, we were, hey, this is, we're good. Then we really focused on the student and the parent lighthouse. So in speaking about those, their meeting times, um, we really tried to set those up and let those be a part of whoever was going to be the lighthouse leaders for the parents and also for the staff. We really allowed the the committee to really talk about what was going to be the best for them, whether they wanted it to be in every other month, um, if we were just going to meet, you know, twice in the fall, twice in the spring. But as for the students, yes, the students was a selective group from third, fourth, and fifth. That was my campus, the grade levels. They were, of course, representatives for that grade level, so they would also be the ones responsible for gathering information um, from the different homerooms on whatever questions we had out there, surveys, whatever. Um, for the parents, for the Lighthouse teams, we really sat down as that inclusive leadership team and looked at those parents that were very involved. I'm not saying that they were always the favorite parents, but the parents who we knew 
would have really good perspectives that asked all the right questions and that would keep us accountable. <laughs> and a lot of times people do not want those parents on their teams uh, or part of that, you know, um, inclusive as far as in the campus, uh, being a part of that because they know that they're gonna hold you accountable and they're gonna ask the right questions. And so talking about data, and anything else that may have been going on, you know, let's just say something came up or within the community, here's the concern, we need to talk about this. Now, of course, we all had agendas for all of the meetings, but, you know, we, we wanted to make sure that we had a diverse group of students, of parents, and of staff so that we would have those different perspectives. Not everybody that thought the same, not all the yes ma'am and no ma'am people at the same time. And so it was very important for us to make sure that we were looking at that. I love too that you have that kind of feedback loop built in. So you have the representatives, but it's not just whatever comes to their mind in the meeting is what the third grade feels like saying, right? It's, we have these questions out there. We have these survey mechanisms that you can go, you're responsible for getting all of that feedback from your peers and then bring it to the meeting. So I love that it's representative in a real representative way, as opposed to sometimes I think with school elections and everything, it's like, I am the president of the class. And I, what I say goes. Through Leader and Me, there are still what we call action teams. Leader in Me has three focuses, uh, culture, leadership, and academics. And so underneath each one of those umbrellas, you have action teams. And so there are what we call wildly important goals. And so there's wigs <laughs> are the goals that are set for the campus. And so everyone, it's all about contribution. So as an individual, kind of going back to the seven habits, as an individual, how do I contribute to this class goal, this grade level goal, the campus goal? Then our campus is also, how are we contributing to the district goal? So it's all about that contribution that comes from each individual person and is holding each other accountable. We have accountability partners and you hold each other accountable, but it wasn't just within the school system. You also were to set personal goals and to have those posted as well outside of just the academic or the school goals. And so definitely look into Leader and Me. Um, there are so many things within that that are just important to have a part of the culture and the structure of campuses. Um, but that commitment definitely has to be there. Again, it's all about that contribution and having um, your stakeholders, students, parents, and, and staff members involved in that process in, in order to really make it uh, shine, <laughs> no pun intended, but in order for that lighthouse to really shine, everyone has to see how it is embedded within the culture and the purpose of it that goes from individual contributions to a collective contribution. Thank you so much for, for sharing so much detail with us, because I think a, a leader who's interested in doing something like that, it might be, you know, the question of how do I even get started? And I think you just painted a great picture of how that's possible and, and doable, really doable and meaningful at the same time. So if a leader is thinking, all right, I'm going to start something like this. What is one thing that they might be able to do to kind of get off the ground with this, to really live in alignment with that idea of being a, you know, a justice centered or an equitable leader? I think the, the most important thing that any leader could do first is to just do the research. Um, a lot of times, and I know I'm like this, I'm, uh, <laughs> I get excited about, oh, this new concept. Oh, I heard about this. I went to this training. I went to this conference. This school is doing that. I just listened to this podcast with Lindsay Lyons and Taryn Givan mentioned Leader in Me. Oh, I'm going to go. Here we go. We're going to implement research first. Because one thing that I have learned is that 
when you hear about all of these different initiatives or these different, um, you know, concepts, it really has to be, does this fit? Is this where we are for our campus? Is this the direction that we're headed in? And is the time now? And a lot of times you get to go and look at these lighthouse schools and you hear about all these different things. And, you know, some of these schools have been a part of Leader and Me for, you know, seven, eight years. And you're like, wow, look at all the things that they're doing. And you want to come back and immediately implement that. And it's like, wait a minute, that's not where we are. The resources have to be there. And when we talk about resources, we're not just talking monetarily. We're also talking about people and, and how you're going to incorporate all of that. So I would say start with research, looking into um, whatever it is, even if it's not leader in me, whatever, PBIS, all of these different things that are out there that um, you know people talk about and they go to conferences for, get the research. If it's you and your admin team, you know, divide and conquer and say, hey, I'm going to go look up this information. If you could take care of that, you take care of that. And then we're collectively going to come back together. And let's see if this is something, or is it that we can do a part of that? Now, with Leader in Me, you can't just say you're a Leader in Me school. <laughs> you may try to go and tweak and maybe adopt some of those practices, but you can't use any of, you know, the materials and the freight, you can't do any of that without being a true leader in me school. But first steps, research, and then have that conversation about, does this fit the direction of our campus? Because the needs of every campus we know is different. And one thing that I used to say to my campus, even as a whole, I used to mention we really need to be about serving the community that is around us. I mean, talking about a community school, where we are, the you know, our children and our families, everything needs to be in alignment with what they need, how they learn best, the services, et cetera. If we were to be picked up, like, you know, in the Wizard of Oz and tossed somewhere else, wherever we land then, we would probably have to realign because what we were doing may no longer fit the needs of the community that we are with now. And I think that that goes back to, again, that wish that I have for education, that goes back to equity. And I didn't use that phrase at the beginning, but I'll kind of close with it now. That's a big hope for me is that it's equitable and that every child is seen and heard. That means that we understand what they need. And there are going to be some campuses if we are still going to be community schools, there are going to be some campuses that the needs are different and they're greater. And so equity is not about an Oprah moment, giving everybody the same thing. It is about making sure that every campus has what it needs to serve the children, to serve that community. As we kind of close out here, I know you said do the research is a great first step. And you also described yourself as a lifelong learner at the top of the episode. So I'm curious to know, is there something that you have been learning about lately? Well, personally, I'll do a personal and a professional. So I'm going to share the professional troublemaker, um, the fear fighter manual by Lovey Jones. That is a book that I'm currently reading part of a, a book club. And, you know, personally for me, I think it's important, as I talked about at the beginning, just to be that well-rounded individual, that everything that I read is not just educational. Um, it has its place as well in the profession, um, in our career, but I really have enjoyed um, Lovey's 
approach and <laughs> she's really raw and I love that but her approach to reminding every individual that you know what you who you are your innate abilities and what you bring to the table is important and you need to stay true to that um, and continue of course to nurture who you are and knowing who you are what do you stand for? What's important to you? What keeps you, you know, up at night that, that you're passionate about and that that is what you are seeking for your life's work? Um, the other part is just continuing in instructional coaching of being a part of Better Lesson as a services specialist, um, the art of coaching teams. This has been a book that I've really dug into um, by Elena Aguilar. Uh, hopefully I'm saying her name correctly. Um, building resilient communities that transform schools. And I think that that is something that we've just been talking about. And again, coaching teams, leadership teams is a part of that as well. Um, and then that instructional team, when you're talking about your instructional coaches and your admin team, that's the art of coaching teams. And so she talks about agendas and meetings and norms um, and how to have, you know, those conversations and to seek feedback. So I think it's just a great wrap up to everything that we've been talking about. But those are the two right now that um, have me really uh, learning and growing. I love those recommendations. Thanks, Taryn. And finally, where can listeners learn more about you or connect with you online? In this 20th year <laughs> as an educator, I am no longer um, on a K-12 setting. I have come home working remotely. Uh, I am currently the services specialist for Better Lesson. I started out as an instructional contract coach and have moved um, into another position within Better Lesson. But for me as an individual, I have started also a, a, my own consulting business, um, Divergent Educational Consulting, LLC. And so I do have a website. It's www.divergenteducationalconsulting.com. The email is also divergenteducationalconsulting at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram um, at Divergent Educational Consulting. And so um, I would love, of course, to continue having conversations um, with all of you, you know, educators across the U.S. and not only for what I bring to the table, but also to continue to learn um, from people such as you, Lindsay. Thank you so much for having me to be a part of this amazing podcast. You know how I feel about you. I think you are amazing. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, Sharon, I can't even say to you how much just wisdom and amazingness you brought to this episode. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on. You are more than welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening, amazing educators. If you loved this episode, you can share it on social media and tag me at Lindsay Beth Alliance or leave a review of the show so leaders like you will be more likely to find it. To continue the conversation, you can head over to our Time for Teachership Facebook group and join our community of educational visionaries. Until next time, leaders, continue to think big, act brave, and be your best self. Thank you.